this book of Proverbs, we're in chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 12, and we can take turns reading this precious word of God this morning, 28 verses in chapter 12 of Proverbs, so far we've seen over and over again the difference between those who will be wise and those who will be unwise or foolish. And God has given us much already in a couple of chapters. We'll be coming to a few chapters to the midpoint of this book of Proverbs. And it is good to draw near to wisdom, to come near to the Lord who gives us instruction so that we can have the peace we spoke about retaining wisdom as one retains riches. Retaining honor and grace and doing the things that we won't regret. Many regrets can be carried by people. But the Lord says we don't have to carry regrets for a lifetime. We don't have to go to the grave with regrets. There is a Savior. There is a God who cares for us, who is able to take away the sting and the shame of all such things. God is there to help us. God is there to bless us. God is there to bless us and keep us, to free us from all the guilt and the pain. And he replaces that with his peace and his joy. God's counsel brings peace and joy. We're going to see in this chapter shortly. Three brothers or sisters can read Proverbs 12. Someone please read 1 to 7. Next person, you can continue right after without pausing. 8 to 20, or rather, 8 to, yes, 20, and then the next person, 21 to 28. So 1 to 7, 8 to 20, 21 to 28. Please read slowly and clearly and loud enough, and only if you have a good connection, please go ahead and read, taking turns, and we'll listen carefully. Proverbs. Chapter 12, NIV version, verse 1. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. The Lord approves of those who are good, but he condemns those who plan wickedness. Wickedness never brings stability, but the godly have deep roots. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. The plans of the godly are just. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. The wicked die and disappear, 
but the family of the godly stands firm. Praise God. A man will be condemned according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. Better is the one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He who tills his hand will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Praise God. No harm comes to the godly, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but fools broadcast their foolishness. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. Praise God. So Proverbs definitely contain two things. Sometimes we may read about the book of Proverbs. We may read that some regard it as absolute truths, every bit of it. Others say they're not absolute truths, they're principles. Both are contained in the book of Proverbs. Whether each statement, every each verse is an absolute truth or a principle, godly principle, doesn't negate the fact that it is the Word of God. So in total, the Proverbs is absolutely given by the inspiration of God as part of the Scriptures. 
and it is profitable for reproof, conviction. It's profitable for correction. It is profitable for training one in righteousness. They contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. But when we look at each verse, we may not find an absolute truth. The case in point is verse 24. The version that we just heard read, I have one version of the New International Version uh, here. There are different, actually, types of that version. Some are called NIVR, I believe. But this one here in front of me says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Can we take that as an absolute truth? That it follows that anyone who's enslaved is lazy? Not only is that not necessarily true in terms of people that are taken captive by other peoples, but also on the job. Is it absolutely true that every diligent person is immediately promoted or rewarded? Isn't it true that there are people who get oppressed and they're made to do the lowest jobs or the menial labor or whatever it is who are actually well-suited, prepared, and diligent to be able to rule, but they're not given the opportunity, they're oppressed? And yet we see a principle. It's important to step back and ask God and be willing to listen rather than rush into a judgment or a commentary necessarily. You can see clearly here that the principle is if one is lazy continuously, they will end up eating the fruit of that laziness. If one is diligent, even if they're oppressed or their uh, abilities and talents are not given opportunity to shine, eventually they will. We read something to that effect even in the previous chapter. That a servant that is wise or diligent will actually inherit. Whereas the very person that's supposed to inherit, the natural inheritor, is ousted. So God sees every heart, and this is a principle. What's an absolute truth? Absolute truth is right there in verse 28. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. That's an absolute truth. When one walks righteously, they will inherit what? Real life from God. God sees his grace abounds to those who fear him. That's an absolute truth. Pursue the way of righteousness. They will have everlasting life. Let someone say that this is the book of Proverbs written some 900 years to about 700 years before Christ came with the gospel, the good news. You need to know in the book of Romans it says those who choose and pursue immortality, honor, 
life. Those who pursue sin and wickedness to death and dishonor, eternal disgrace. It's right there in the book of Romans and all over the Old Testament and New Testament. This is an absolute truth. And so as we read the scriptures, we need to understand comparing scripture with scripture. Comparing what we know about the character of God, there's a consistency. The God we serve is a living God. He is the creator of the whole universe. He holds everything together. But the gods of the false religions, gods that are very inconsistent and they're very whimsical, you never know when you're going to enrage them and all of a sudden they can just lash out. For example, I mentioned the other day about this Indian festival, which a lot of people call a cultural phenomenon of acknowledging the harvest and things to do with crops. But it happens that it's tied to a religious story that one particular God sent a cow for a certain purpose to the earth and another God opposed that God. You have not only a multiplicity, there's multiple gods in a religion, but you also have within the one god or goddess, whatever they worship, conflicting emotions and a change of mind very quickly. They can become very violent and they can fight. And you don't see righteousness, you don't see a consistency. But the living God we worship, we serve, is very dependable, very predictable. Again, he makes it clear there are two roads. The road that is S-T-R-A-I-T, straight or narrow, restricted, but it leads to life. It's a road that is safe. And then there's the broad road, the broad way that leads to destruction. Exactly what the Lord Jesus said in the Gospels years later from when this was penned. The Proverbs has it all over its contents. Namely, wisdom and folly. The narrow straight path. Not only restricted S-T-R-A-I-T but S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. No crookedness. No deviation. Whoever loves instruction in correction loves knowledge. We find this often in the Proverbs that people who don't want instruction, they don't want to be told that they're wrong, they need to change their ways. The Bible calls them foolish because they're actually hurting themselves. A person may win an argument or refuse to receive instruction and walk away thinking, ha, huh, they couldn't make me do what they wanted me to do. But if it is the voice of wisdom speaking through the individual, we have actually walked away from life. Wisdom is for living. For this life and for eternal life. So it's an attitude check that we need to have. We can go through the Proverbs, as I mentioned, and just forget much of it and never apply. 
But if I apply it, then I really come to see that God doesn't want me to treat my situation in a superficial manner. It's possible. We know that ourselves by experience in our everyday world. Perhaps you're younger, perhaps you're older. If you had to clean something and you were given the right tools, maybe a sponge cleaning solution, and the actual steps. But you put the solution on top of that dirt or that spot, the stain, and you've done step one. Maybe you let it soak for a little while and then you go to step two. You take that sponge, which is, for argument's sake, let's say a very good sponge. And you begin to scrub on that dirt. A person can say, well, I've been scrubbing for 15 minutes and I'm done. Then you have another individual, they've been scrubbing for 15 minutes as well and they're done. But you look at the results of both, you see one has the stain virtually intact. The other one actually got the job done. No stain. How they handle the sponge, whether they are working that in and using their energy and have, has a goal and are determined to take that stain off, that makes all the difference. Same thing with washing hands. In fact, just not too long ago, I was telling our youngest the correct way to wash one's hands is there are individuals, children and adults, they may stand in the shower and let the water run on them as if the shower water can magically clean them. But there's a scrubbing involved. There's an application of the soap or whatever it is, the shampoo. and There's an action involved. And if it's thorough, then the dirt comes off. When we have our hands under the water and enjoy the warmth of it, and we show the front of the hands and the back of the hands, but we fail to scrub and vigorously rinse the dirt off. Two people can be doing the same motion. They can use the same tools, but come away with a good result and a bad result. Such is the same with the application of the Word of God. We can look at it and treat everything superficially. Oh yes, I heard about whoever loves instruction and correction loves knowledge. Yes, 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 okay. But he who hates reproof is like a brute beast. Stupid and indiscriminating. Well, some versions have that word. The King James says brutish. effectively the same meaning. The New American Standard says, again, whoever hates correction is stupid. Reproof is stupid. New International Version, we may tend to shy away from that and feel offended. How can God call me this word? Now, we should not be using such words. But God has a very good reason. And the original intention and the original meaning is not to put someone down as we may hear today. But God says, you're dull. If you don't want correction, you have a major problem. That begs the question, what is instruction? What is correction? Is all instruction, all correction, correct, quote-unquote? God can use virtually any source, but the ultimate source is himself. When the instruction and correction 
is for the good of my soul, for my safety, for the welfare and prosperity of my family. It's all good. But if that correction is for me to become more of a schemer, as we'll find someone who's drug dealer or violent person, as I heard a testimony of one of the people on the morning call that the father actually taught him at a young age, a tender age such as the age of our own little one, eight years old. When a bully came on the scene, the father heard that his little child didn't stand up to the bully, told him to go back and teach that bully a lesson, get violent. Then uh, he was rewarded with something for being violent. Now that's instruction, and that is correction in a technical sense, but the intention was what's correct in my eyes may not be correct in God's eyes. The intention was to correct the child who is otherwise not violent, to become violent, to show who is in control. And hence the life of violence ensued. We need to have the Spirit of God and God's Word to check everything. Now the enemy can come along also. These are various things that can happen and hence they're being discussed right now. Satan can come and slander and put down God's instruction as incorrect. He can say God's correction is too harsh. God's correction is not practical. This is where we must perceive and be able to perceive who's speaking. What is the ultimate end, the goal of that instruction? Is it to bless my soul and strengthen my soul and build up the souls of my family and others? Or is it to give me a hard time and give me an easy time, easy way out to make me rob myself of the growth that I need, even though it's difficult. How do you get to discern who's speaking? It may be someone, as I mentioned the example a few moments ago, it may be that the devil is speaking through the father, the earthly father who says, you need to do certain things when you come of age, son. You need to show your self a man and prove your manhood and you have to do such things even though it goes against even the conscience you need to show that you're tough and fight you need to show people that they can't treat you like a doormat you give them a piece of your mind and maybe a piece of your fist if necessary and the source of that wisdom is uh, the devil, it's really not wisdom, it's carnal, it's sensual, it's wicked. But we can know that the wisdom from God, as we read the scriptures here, especially in Proverbs, the end of it is peace. There's another person that says, you ought to be very diligent and forego sleep at times, forego food at times, forego what you like to do at times, to pursue God with all your heart. Read the word. Take it as life to you. 
We know the source of that instruction is God himself. Because that will make a person strong and grow spiritually. When they're able to distinguish between the flesh and the spirit, the devil and God's instruction. But a devil can come along speaking through human beings, even through one's own mind and flesh. It's too hard. I feel nauseous when I don't eat. I feel sick. I feel that I need to keep eating. I need to clarify this statement further, lest someone misconstrue this. God's not asking one not to eat. He provided food. He provided the stomach. Food for the stomach. Stomach for the food. Yes, one day both will disappear, but for the moment there's a function God expects it to be fulfilled. But when it interferes with me seeking God, doing what God wants me to do, now it's the devil that will try to misapply the basic principle. Misapply that to mean that if I miss a meal, miss a day of good food, I'm going to be cranky, I'm going to be dying, all such things. Same thing with sleep. So there's an overcoming that comes through wisdom, God's spirit, God's grace. And we learn that uh, there's a disparity a lot of times between how diligent we are with the things of the world as opposed to the things of God. And a wise person can receive that correction, even if it stings and we don't like to hear it at first. Pride comes in. We step back and say, Lord, I'm the one who's at fault. The instruction is good, but I'm not able to receive it immediately because my attitude is wrong. My understanding is warped. And I can see why I'm spiritually not growing. But now, by grace, I choose to make a turn for the better. I'm going to reprioritize my life, pursue wisdom with all that I've got. Pursue God, God's word. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but whoever hates reproof is uh, brutish. A good man obtains favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices he condemns. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall never be moved. A virtuous and worthy wife, earnest and strong in character, it's a further explanation from the Amplified Version, is a crowning joy to her husband. But she who makes ashamed is his rottenness and his bones. Someone read it from another version it's to mean cancer. Essentially, the import of this phrase, rottenness in his bones. Something that is debilitating and destructive. How does a woman bring shame to the husband? Well, the same way perhaps a man can bring shame to the woman, the wife. 
or children to the parents and parents to the children when the priorities are all wrong, upside down. In our families, in God's counsel, His way, righteous path, it's God first. And if one is married, the spouse next, or right underneath God. And then the children, if there are children. For a single person, the person is a young person, it's God first. Parents right underneath God. That's the chain of command and the right order to give honor. And if one is older, God first and single, God first and then children if you have children. God first, those who are under your authority or those who you counsel and are friendly with. You're responsible. We're responsible for the souls. Proverbs 31 has a further amplification right in the original text of what a virtuous and worthy wife looks like. She's very industrious and uh, she causes her husband to be known in the city. In the gates, if you will. How? Because she makes sure that he's dressed well. We need to explain this further. It's not a fashion statement or fashion uh, motivation to have good fashion. It says in Proverbs 31, verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of a husband trusts in her confidently and believes in her safely. So he has no lack of any honest gain or fear or need of dishonest spoil. In other words, she's there to build him up and edify him, not tear him down. She will comfort, encourage and do him only good as long as there is life within her. Such a devotion and commitment. She seeks out the wool and flax and works with willing hands to develop it. She is like the merchant ships loaded with foodstuffs. She brings her household's food from a far country. She rises while it is night, yet night, and gets spiritual food for her household and assigns her maids their tasks. Now this is an interpretation. Other versions say that uh, she rises while it is yet night and gives food to her household and a portion to her maidens. Both are true, especially as we read this with a spiritual lens. But the immediate application is that she takes care of her household, she makes sure no one goes hungry or is malnourished. Similarly, the wise woman's priority is that spiritual food, good, solid spiritual food is being fed to the children, not spiritual junk food. I heard a testimony actually just uh, the other day of a woman who is steeped in witchcraft uh, as a young girl. And uh, it turns out that she was upset with the local pastor because when her father was sick, 
no one visited him. Whatever reason, the devil took her on a tangent there, but I would suspect that there were other things involved. And yet she said she went deep into witchcraft and she became a, a leader. And all along, she was going with her grandparents during that time to a Methodist church and no one knew anything about what was happening. And then one day someone gave her a gift and it was a cross from the church. And as she looked at the cross, she began to have second thoughts about her witchcraft involvement. And she began to seek God. And when she began to seek God, changes happened. And uh, she eventually got married and she became caught up in the uh, charismatic deception that was going on in the 90s and still continues to this day. So-called prophets, but they're actually false. They sound good and they look distinct. And she got caught up in the movement and the Spirit of God began to talk to her after a while. She was very active. She got away from that and... Um, she said um, how it was so deceptive and how the food that we, she was eating spiritually was actually destroying her soul. And she couldn't pick up on that initially. Then she saw the whole drama and God graciously took her and her husband. They tried hard to stay. They got so convicted, they came out of it. Both of it, both of them, independently. They decided enough is enough. And we need to be aware today, just as the wise woman is concerned, well, the spiritual parent in the church, pastor, whether it's a man or woman, father or mother, should be concerned about the diet of the spiritual children. Should be vigilant, should be providing what is necessary to build up the body of Christ and be keen on that. It's a responsibility from the Lord, a very grave responsibility, but a very joyful one when it is done according to God's will. Too many people these days belong to families, spiritual families, where they don't have a true spiritual father, a true spiritual mother. I remember years ago we were going to a church not too far from where we live and there's a, a, a lady she's probably in her 30s by then a teacher and uh, she called a certain individual her mom an older lady who was very nice very cordial but as we saw this lady's life and the life of her family even though they came to church faithfully and they helped out the husband even went on a missions trip. There's a great disconnect within the family, dysfunction. It was about money. They're making money. More money. And kind of miserly too. Seemed like, you know what, the more money, the happier we get. And the opposite was happening, but nobody could help them. Not even the so-called spiritual mother in the church. And you saw complete embracing of that family with everything in the world. Where is the spiritual food? Where is the spiritual instruction that shows the real, true 
separation from what God hates, a cleaving to God, loving Him, pursuing Him. Where's the godliness? Oh, they participated in the Christmas programs and every program. But they were given junk food, malnourished. In the same church, by the way, they didn't want to hear the truth. And a lady came and she was speaking about a so-called prophet that she went and saw a big name. In fact, he's probably the biggest, most recognized name in the whole world, possibly today, for many years. She said, we went to his meeting and we were just blown away. It was awesome. But as you hear her speak and you look at her life, this other person and the life of that church, it was a Sons of God church whose doctrine is sound, wonderful, solid doctrine, scripturally accurate, but no transfer of that doctrine to the life. And uh, the men's leader and others, they all decided we don't get into doctrine. This was the what I heard. We don't get into doctrine. Pray tell, what is doctrine? Doctrine simply means body of truth or the truth. We don't get into truth. We don't read the Bible, but we get these materials and things and we talk about where we went and what's the latest thing happening in Christianity? 55,000 likes over here. And let me join this. What are you joining? Have we investigated it? Have we understood what's going on or are we looking at it superficially? The word that the Lord gave me before the morning call, particularly to focus on, and it has to do with this Proverbs 31 woman, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 12, same one, same type, as well as for every man, every child, is we must not be superficial with the things of God. Otherwise, the result will be like the person scrubbing with the right tools, stain is still there. On the one hand, we can have the truth, the right doctrine, and never even pick up the sponge like that other church I mentioned, and there are many like them, or individuals for that matter, Christians. Never read the Word and never want to get better, because why? I'm already good. I'm good. Why don't you go to that person on the street who's shot up with drugs and on the lying by the gutter? They need God. Don't come and preach to me. This was the problem of Israel and Judah for centuries. Whenever God sent prophets, for example, in the time of King Joash, God sent Zechariah, and they stoned him to death. Can you imagine that? They were worshipping idols. They went far from God. They had the ceremonial things. They went to the temple. They had their own prophets. They had a lot of things that looked like you've got the Jewish religion going pretty full steam here. And here comes a lone voice. You're doing wrong. You need to repent. They stoned them right there on the spot. Of course, the king that was behind that, he died a miserable death. But the problem is that people began to be superficial. Any genuine revival you can read about, whether in the Bible times or after that, any revival, whether it's the Hebrides revival, the Welsh Revival, the Revival in the States in 1859, the Ulster Revival, I believe it was called. 
the Great Awakening, all these revivals, genuine revivals, that caused tremendous change from the home to the cities and countrysides. People stopped drinking. How, does, how do you do that when legislation couldn't do it? Prohibition Act and this act could not do it successfully. How does this happen? Because the Spirit of God began to move. And said, this is wrong. Drugs are wrong. Alcohol is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Disobeying and being disrespectful, disrespectful to your husband is wrong. Similarly, disagreeing with your wife when she's godly is wrong. And the husband is godly to disagree with him and disrespect him by disagreeing is wrong. Children began to change. Husbands and wives, read the revivals. The Spirit of God came. You know why? Because somebody stood up and refused to go with the status quo. Refused to take the Word of God and handle it superficially. And people prayed day and night for revival. It became a groaning that my family is not right. We may be going to church and doing all the Christian things, doing the Christian thing. But the peace of the Lord Jesus is not established. So we may have a little feeling here and there. We can continue. The wounds can continue to fester. But if we say, Lord, I want the real thing. I'm not happy. And I shouldn't be happy or content. And try to heal the daughter of my people slightly. As God told Jeremiah what the false prophets were doing. No, tell it like it is. If you don't have peace and harmony, if you don't have love, if you don't have kindness, if you don't have mutual respect, if the correct order is not there in the home, then we are dealing with the whole issue superficially. God gets to the root cause. He's the great physician. He's not a quack doctor, as they say. Give you what you want. Give you a temporary, temporary remedy of sorts, and then you have that wound going on. Who's going to stand up and say, stop gossiping? God doesn't like it. It's very, very taboo today. These are the things that irritate people, make them leave the church, so people say. Always talking about repentance. Why don't you go to people who are caught in overt sin, blatantly cursing people, breaking the cars. Tell them to repent. Don't tell me. I'm a Christian. I'm settled here for many years and I know what I'm doing. I have a Bible. I have many copies of it. I get up and do my devotions, but are you listening to instruction from God to deal with the sin right in front of you or in you and in your family? When God comes and says, here is, as I've said before, this analogy is very apropos. I can say I've eaten, just like scrubbing the stain, and never bother as to what I'm eating. What parent in their, in his or her right mind would do that? When maybe the grandparent calls that young mother or young father or older one who's very irresponsible and doesn't really care about the children. Give them what they want. They're screaming, hollering for it. Give it to them. Maybe the older person calls and did uh, my grandson eat well? No, he wasn't feeling well the other day. How is he eating? Oh, he's eating fine. 
He's getting three square meals a day. Wonderful. What is he eating these days? Um, don't ask me what he's eating. Are you trying to find fault with me? No, I just want to know what he's eating. See, the defensiveness comes when there's a problem. But when things are right, everything's open. I gave vegetables. I gave wholesome nutrition. Balanced diet. This is what little Johnny ate. All the vitamins, all the minerals, and no junk food. Oh, I'm so happy. Daughter, you're raising the grandchildren right. It's going to bless them down the road. Their immune is going to be strong. But the other one, they had three square meals. What did you give them? Tons of the bad stuff. No parent in his or her right mind would do that. You had to be a wicked parent, a really wicked one, to give bad stuff all the time, knowing that it's damaging. See, not an ignorant person, a person who knows. There are times when we don't know, we learn. But it's when we know and we're damaging the child and our family. That's not a virtuous woman. And if it's a father, it's not a virtuous father at all. But what is the point here? Spiritually, people do this all the time. To themselves and to their families. Did you go to church? Yes. We had a couple come to our fellowship some years ago, some time ago. And it just was not getting through to them. Because they made their decision, we know everything. And when God is doing miracles, instead of calling the adult children, come and see, they always made an excuse. They're too far away. They're celebrating this. They're busy with this. They won't come. They're going to church. It's a great thing. They're starting to go to church. The life's changing? No, husband and wife were grabbing each other's throats. The child is not taken care of. Their heart is set on money. But they're going to church. And they continue to believe that lie. As long as they go to church, they're going to be fine. God's got it. God's going to take care of them. What happened to Israel and Judah? They had a temple. They had priests. They had prophets. But when they were doing wrong, they raised up false prophets and they began to persecute the true prophets. Because God says, now it's a sham. It's a show. You're going to fall. I'm warning you. Assyria is going to come and level you. Israel, I'm warning you. I don't want it to happen. Please, stop. Continued to persecute and kill the prophets. Once they were taken to captivity, there were times when they actually put hooks into the jaws and nose. Shamefully, painfully carried them away. He warned Israel's sister, Judah, don't do like your sister. You're starting to have a show too. You're doing the sacrifices, you're saying your prayers, you have this and that and the other thing. Everything looks fine from the outside, but I'm looking at your houses. I can see inside your homes and your hearts. You're oppressing one another. There's no harmony, there's no peace, there's religiosity, but there's no agreement. There's no pursuit of me. I've become an accessory to you. A pushover. And you're pursuing idols again. Stop are the same things going to happen to you that happened to your sister in the north, Israel. Did they listen? For time, when Hezekiah was there, righteous kings, then they rebelled continually and began to persecute the prophets in the south as well.
and they were carried away captive. Why did God put that in the Bible? Is it something remote? We're studying Proverbs. Someone says, why do you bring these things up? Because it concerns the Proverbs. Wisdom is taking the instruction to heart and saying, I'm going to scrub with this thing until the dirt comes out of me and my family. In Jesus' name. There's an action that's required and we can all be hearing the same thing and the application could be far different from one to the other. But let's be people who will say, enough is enough. First of all, I'm going to consider whether I'm hearing junk food spiritually coming into my ears or is it the true instruction from God. Once I make that determination because I judge it by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, let me take it to heart and say, Lord, I've been very casual about certain things. It's time to roll up my sleeves and get to work and do exactly what you say and look for the results. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, the attorney turned revivalist, the 1800s, I spoke about him the other day. When he got saved, he had such an experience with God. The Spirit of God came over him and just completely transformed his life. He went right to his senior attorney and told him, I can no longer conduct business here. Up and coming attorney. Very brilliant. Had all the lucrative career ahead of him. God got a hold of him. He used to go to the woods and cry out in repentance. Lord, why am I not feeling your presence? He wasn't saved. And he kept pursuing God. He used to go in deep into the woods and cry out to God got saved and got baptized in the Spirit not too much longer after that. He said, waves of this liquid power came over me. He said, I was in a, as if in a trance. Very intellectual man, very logical person. Got touched so powerfully by the Holy Spirit. He went to his, the senior attorney, his partner, and he said, I can no longer work here. And he said, what happened to you? He said, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause. End of story. What happened after that is the rest of the story. Some 500,000 people in his lifetime, directly through him, got born again. Can you imagine that? But a half a million time, uh, half a million people at a time when there were no megaphones and no radio. But what he said was, shortly after he was converted, he went to a church and he spoke up. The Spirit of God stared this young Christian. He said, I'm observing all of you pray week after week. I see no results. He told them to their face. He said, you have to have faith. Where's the difference in your lives? You're praying for the same thing over and over again. Where's the movement of the Spirit? Well, these days the devil has his counterfeit. They have so-called prophets. They have big movements going on. You can find it all over social media. Large gatherings. And they'll talk about worship, but actually it's inducing people into some kind of spiritual coma because they think they're getting closer to God, but they're doing all kinds of things. You see it in the life. Very, very superficial and scary. Because other things come in. False predictions. We need to be discerning these days and say, Lord, what food am I getting in? 
if I eat good food, but I also supplement that with junk food, the effect will be, the junk food will essentially and effectively cancel out the effect of the good food. We need to be discriminant when it comes to what we put in our body, especially into our souls. The devil will cry, oh, that's very narrow and restricting and I'm not being given a chance to think for myself. Well, the devil has taken a lot of people down to hell with that kind of persuasion. God doesn't say don't think for yourself. He said use the mind. The mind is given to be used. But what is the source of the wisdom that you rely upon to determine what is good and what is false? What is true and what is false? What is good and what is not? First of all, we need to find some results in our lives. Am I submissive to God? Do I obey God or do I go on ranting about how spiritual I am and how faithful I am and all the things I'm doing? God wants to see results. Because He's a God whose power is not impotent. It's potent to change people's lives. If I have such a track record, then I can trust and be confident that when I look at something and I wait on the Lord and I compare scriptures that I'm diligently seeking God's mind on the matter instead of rushing into something and finding fault with those who say the path is restricted a rebel will say throw off every restriction I'm a free person, free thinker progressive thinking go into all kinds of deception remember what happened to Eve was she was pursuing knowledge apart from the wisdom of God which was contained in his commandment not to touch or eat I should say of the fruit of the knowledge of what? good and evil knowledge is it a bad thing? what's so wrong with listening to different pastors and preachers? I thought the more you get around the more you can get a better grasp of all the stuff that we may be missing in one place or two places that may work with any other endeavor to an extent because if you take someone who wants to learn let's say welding they watch all the videos and they go to many places they can maybe some of the people that teach are teaching the wrong thing that can be harmful to the welder himself or have a product that is actually shabby what happens with that person? if the person is indiscriminate take everything as it comes you might undo the good thing that you learned it's much more grave when it comes to the soul because the enemy of our souls is not an ordinary person it's Satan who is crafty he was so crafty he was able to interrupt the relationship between God and man right there in the garden because the woman became a free thinker in a negative sense, in a perverted sense. She thought, I know God commanded this, but he didn't tell me this. And that's exactly how the devil appealed to her. Beware of curiosity. Beware of curiosity, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. To the point where you listen to things and keep looking at things that Ultimately, when you compare Scripture with Scripture and the Spirit of God teaching you, you see that it's superficially 
it's superficial and also it can be detrimental. This wise woman was virtuous because as you see the description here, she girds herself with strength verse 17 Proverbs 31 17 she's motivated to do what? to get merchandise that's good for her family her candle doesn't go out by night she's a hard worker very hard worker and uh, down to verse 23 her husband is known in the gates why? because she also produces clothing He's known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And he has no loss through her, only gain. That's God's description of a wise woman and we can apply that to every other member of the family. When the result shows that people are not shabby spiritually, they're not superficial, but they're keen on God. What is the truth? Pontius Pilate asked that of Jesus, but he had no intention of learning it. He just posed the question, what is truth? Some people throw their hands up in the air, oh, I don't know. This prophet says that, and that pastor says this, and this church, I I just take the good and get rid of the bad, you know. But what standard do you use to gauge that? Unless we're walking with God and we're humble before God, we'll be confused. Not only time will be wasted, but our souls will be weak and uh, the worship of the living God in our home will be superficial there were studies done on homeschool students for almost three decades now and consistently what we see is that many many homeschooled students the majority if not all of them Christian because they don't want the corruption that's in the education system, in the public school system. And homeschool can be a very good thing. But it can also be a cover-up and mirage. How? Because statistics show that many homeschool students, when they go to college, when they graduate high school, get that certificate from the local school district, fulfill, fulfilling all of the state requirements for homeschool students they end up going away from God they end up pursuing other religions they start saying you know I was pretty restricted as a homeschool student now I'm on my own I can think for myself and I think Buddhism is pretty good I think Hinduism has a lot of cool things I think I can go to the local club why not I was all bound up at home I couldn't do anything I think it's pretty narrow-minded to just say that there's one way. I mean, isn't that bigoted? By and by, they continue in life and end up marrying people that are just as bad or worse. And what do you think will happen to the offspring? There's only so long that we can be superficial with the things of God before. Everything will disintegrate. That's what we see in the history of Israel. 
So today is the day that we need to make up our mind. Lord, every word that you speak, I want not to treat it superficially. I want that remedy. I don't care how much it stings. I'm going to apply it square right on the wound. Destroy all of that evil bacteria that shouldn't be there. The false stuff. And me allowing things to happen that I know God doesn't like. Because of lack of diligence. We see the righteous woman in Proverbs 31, amplification of Proverbs 12.4. She's extremely diligent. She's not only stitching, she's making sure food is there. She looks at a land that is profitable. She buys that land. She makes sure her husband is taken care of well, that he is honored. That's what that stands for. It's not merely buying the best clothes at Macy's or wherever. Spending a fortune. But taking care of what needs to be taken care of so the husband is honored. There's no whining and complaining and blame game. The woman is very responsible and she's not looking for any medals. These days, how many people are sickening, absolutely sickening, especially on social media. Look at me. Look at me. Look at what I did. Well, if you say, look at what I did by the grace of God and I'm happy and I'm content, you know, God gave His grace to have this dish or whatever. We went out. It's fine. Wonderful. Give glory to God. Mean it. But simply, I went here, there, and look at me, and, you know, my husband gave me the keys to a new house, new car, or wife, and, well, on the one hand, someone says, we want to honor, but is that really the platform to draw attention like that? The man is sitting there in Proverbs 31, obviously, at a meeting or some kind of natural event, a required event, I should say. It's not an artificial inflating of the ego and all of this stuff and what happens in the home. Often it's the opposite. It's a big show. This attention-seeking is a horrible thing because it shows insecurity. It reveals that the person is not well-connected to God at all, no matter how big they are. in the Christian world or what they do and who they know. Impulsivity, insecurity are no-nos for the child of God. Because it really shows that I'm not content, I'm not happy. And so, dealing with it superficially, even going through the book of Proverbs or anything in the Bible, not dealing with the cancer this uh, continual thing that eats me up looking for attention in gossip in conversations as I mentioned the other day a juicy bit of information why? because of insecurity many times I've got that secret that you don't know did you listen to this? think about it twice before you speak because unless it is really motivated by God to bring help then we're going to be guilty of gossip. God will have to chasten us. And shame will come too. These are the things that people don't like to hear. This is why the prophets were stoned. God said, there's malice over here. There's gossip. One betrays another. And there's, there are things happening. In, but you're all religious. You have the Torah. 
They said, we've got the Torah, we've got the Tanakh, we've got the writings in progress at that time. Remember this word, superficial. And let's honestly say, Lord, does it apply to me? I don't want to defend myself immediately and say, no, it doesn't. No, I want to know. The wise person will do what? Will listen to correction and really apply it. Lord, I mean to be scrubbed and scrub. As much as it takes and as long as it takes, I want the dirt out. I want gossip out of my life. I want slander out of my life. Lord, I don't want this insecurity. I don't want to play victim and have this victim mentality. The reason I'm insecure is because of A and B and C. What about God? Where's God in your life? What about going to the Word of God? Where's the peace that God speaks about? God comes to us and He says, you don't need to show off anything. You don't need to tell anyone anything. You don't need to broadcast anything unless it's the truth. Unless it's genuinely motivated. And there'll be a, a godly limitation. It won't be just bursting at the seams and whatever I feel like doing. And Hey, this is a great idea. Watch out for that statement. I think it's a great idea. Because the devil had a great idea in the Garden of Eden. He said, you can have more, Eve. God's holding out on you. You don't know. When you eat of this, you're going to be like God. Oh boy. You're going to be super spiritual. You're going to have your guns and ammo against the devil. That's the devil speaking. So long as you disobey God. We won't call it disobeying God. We'll call it being a good Christian and seeking more. Why not? Use your freedom. Don't let people tell you what to do. Not even God. Did I say that? I mean, don't let people tell you what to do. We need to be careful that the suggestions, the bright ideas, may be from the bright Lucifer, not from God. Whoever loves instruction and correction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is like a brute beast, stupid and indiscriminating. I don't mind God saying that to me, even though it may sting initially. And it's not the only place, by the way. You see it in the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah. God actually uses this word. Why does he use the word? He uses it because people can be so stubborn. God is trying to get to them. Stop. I'm telling you, you're going the wrong way. You're proud. You're not humble. You're not listening. You're quick to do this and that. Quick to pick up the phone and quick to write something or post something. Relax. Stop so you can listen to what I have to say, God says. Let me give you the security you're looking for in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Only then are we going to grow. Sometimes God has to speak like that. Otherwise we'll be in la-la land. A good man obtains favor of the Lord. You know why he does that? It's because he wants to protect us. Again, the child that's playing with the socket on the wall. Baron says, Johnny, please stop. Susie, won't you stop? Or Jenny or whoever. I can say all the names on the morning call, including myself. I can take all the names of the world and put it in that statement. Don't touch that. 
baby, don't touch, touch that little one. You can get a shock. You can start to get really have a bad feeling. Don't do that. The child does it again. Tries to put the little pinky. And the mother, same thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Maybe a hundred times. No tap, no yank. You know, a hundred times. child's life could be in danger. And even when the child wets the hand and tries to put the wet finger in there, eventually what happens? The child can take a fork and try to stick it in there, get electrocuted. But the parent who sees the potential of this, the gravity of the situation, lets it be known to the child very clearly. I love you like anything, pudding pie. But you touch that, you're going to get a spanking that you are going to remember for the rest of your life because I care about you. I'm going to wait for the progression. hundred times into the socket and then the wet hand and then the fork until the child is gone and then lament over it. I did everything I could, really. Thank God, God is a good parent. He's the best father. He sees how dangerous it is and he yanks us and gives us a pull and he shouts when he has to. Yes, he does. And he use some words that will get our attention. Say, stop it right now. A good man obtains favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices he condemns. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall never be moved. A virtuous and worthy wife is a crown of joy to her husband. But she who makes ashamed is rotten his bones. A wife who wastes money, of course. The husband's working hard and here she is. The drain is open, it's just trickling and pouring out. And he has no clue what's going on. And even if he does, there's a big fight. I need all this stuff. Are you saying that I don't have proper judgment? You're calling me names? You're... Even when names are not being called. How else can it be rotten? Telling the whole world, my husband is not smart. He does this, he does that, he does the other thing. Blame, 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 blame. Why? So I can look good. That's rottenness in his bones. Not care about how he looks outside, how he's perceived. Where's that ownership and where's that belongingness and where's that responsibility? Where's the love? A woman who really loves her husband, a wife who really loves her husband will be a crown of joy to the husband. And again, the same can be said about a husband that he's there to guard and protect her. However, let it be told, let it be said, and let it be made clear. When there's sin, when there's defiance, when there's rebellion, we can't cover that up and sugarcoat that. Help won't come. Yet we don't gossip about it. We go to God and we go to people who really love God and follow God to get help. Not all of a sudden become a car artist there, makeup artist if you will, and paint a picture that's quite opposite to what's happening because I don't want to gossip. See all the ways in which we can get into snares by self-deception? A thousand and one excuses why I can't do it God's way. We need to crush that, destroy that and say, Lord, I want to be true before you. I don't need to wipe, uh, weep and, and bang my head on the wall and thump my fist on the ground and say, it's so hard to obey God. I don't know how to do this and I'm feeling this. Forget about the feelings. 
Go by the truth and your feelings will conform to the truth. I'm sure Eve had a feeling when she was there in the garden. Wow, this is... It, it makes me feel good, even as you're speaking, serpent. Because, you know, the more you talk, the more appealing it looks to me. The fruit is really, really looking good to me now. And not only that, it's good for food? Nutrition 101 from Satan? Wow. Not only that, it's going to make me wise? Why can't I listen to this person and that person? They call themselves a prophet, worship leader, worship seminar, and, you know, six or seven weeks of this, and you're going to be changed and transformed when what you see is a lot of moaning and groaning and a lot of tears and people just... God have mercy. No wonder. The world laughs. And they're able to lock arms with a lot of these so-called prophets because Jesus loves everybody. He'll take you as you are. And the problem is the third statement. You don't need to change. You don't need to change. We'll let God handle that. You come as you are and um, come worship with us. Who's the worship leader? Oh, he's a popular worship leader and he's in this conference and seminar. The whole world is going to be there. What does he believe? He's into Masonism, Mason Temple and all that. What about the other one? A strong Catholic. Rooted and grounded in Catholic teachings. Even when it's contrary to the scripture. But wonderful. They capture the attention of millions of Christians. I was so blessed. I don't care what you say. This is my life. And I think, I feel God touched me through that song. So don't you go and criticize and judge that worship leader. Even though he may be dabbling in another religion altogether. Hey, the words are so good. And What do you do with that? What do you do with that? God expects this. Even if God used that. God can use anything. He used a donkey, didn't he? He can use anyone, anytime. However, he won't consistently use anyone, anytime. He will expose them. Even Saul was prophesying when he was outside of the will of God. God overpowered him and the joke was on him. We need to know the whole scriptures. We need to be discerning. When we are discerning, we will investigate and see whether this is, especially today, God says, test the spirits. What is this person about? What are they trying to do and who are they associating with? This is bad news. I'm not part of this. But my friends are doing it. They're Christian. She's got such a good heart. He's got such a good heart. And the pastors, they all love it. He told you about the chosen. Now say it again. Everybody loves it, it seems. They have a scene in there. Quite a number of scenes that make Jesus look like a buffoon. They make him look like someone who's insecure and has to get the last word in and quips here and there. 
witty sayings. Worse than that, they had a scene where a young man is saying to another disciple, we have the greatest thing going here. People don't even know who he is. And the other man says, uh, what does he do anyway? And what's his occupation? Something to that effect. And the other one says, I, I can't tell you in the presence of women over here. Listen to the dialogue. And the woman steps up and says, uh, I've seen things or heard things that will make you freeze over. Something to that effect. Now, what is, what is the saying? And what is the import of this? What is the feeling? So you have a woman who's wicked and she's saying, I've seen things worse than what you're about to say, whatever it is. And then the man answers that uh, the Lord of glory, this Jesus, is uh, helping build a ramp for a public toilet. God have mercy. Not only is that not in the Bible, but it's a calculated move of Satan to blaspheme the holy living God. But who's discerning these days when you have 380,000 likes and half a million here and the biggest thing that ever happened in Christian uh, media and pastors and theologians and Bible professors all of them love it. Could it be an indication that people don't really care about the honor of God and the truth of God? That they've gotten to the point where they can just gloss over this and say, ah, that's artistic liberty and it's actually funny and I love it. Whether it's a worship song, worship leader, conference, whether it's a TV show, we'll be called to account for that one day when we know the truth of it. Was my honor not good enough, big enough for you to forego this thing, no matter how popular it is? Seeing that it blasphemes my name? That the people actually espouse foreign things to the Bible, other doctrine, other religions? They have a whole bunch of doctrines that are totally contrary to the scripture. But they've got a great worship song out and everybody's playing it. You see, God told Israel two things about a false prophet. Note this carefully. One is he said that if the prophet speaks something and it doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet, don't follow him. Because when I speak, it's going to happen. Fair enough. Plain enough. But he said another thing that most people don't know. Listen to this. When a prophet says something and it happens, you see that in Revelation and in the Gospels. But that prophet leads people away from me to something else. God says, get rid of him. He's not from me and he's from the deceiver. How do you figure that? Wait a minute. He's just like a real prophet, has the same lingo and everything, and, but something's happening where the people are being drawn away into something that is not of God. 
And that's why in the epistle of John it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits. See whether they are of God. Today I can tell you, without hesitation, much of what you see in Christianity, much of it, especially much of what is floating, on, floating around in social media, the big, big events, thankfully not all of it, but much of it, you may be surprised at what is actually counterfeit and false. But let God show you if you're sincere. He will show you. The wisdom from above will not make a person casual toward the things of God. No. It won't make a person vent their emotions and think that they're getting spiritual because of that or feeling something. For sure, when God touches somebody, they're going to feel something, sometime. May not be immediately. And it will be life-changing. But the devil, just like the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he is quick to give the bait that appears like the real thing, but it's contrary to God's will. And who will know? Who would know? Except the person who is continually crying to God, Lord, I don't want to be deceived. What a prayer to pray. I prayed that God's grace since I was about 17 or 18. Because even back then I saw things coming up. And I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know how to articulate it. And I saw the fruit of that for large numbers of people who kept in it when God took me out of it. By God's grace. But a prayer that everyone can pray and we should pray. Especially today. Is Father, I don't want to be deceived. Oh Lord. If I lose everything else, I don't want to lose the discernment from God. Lord, I need more discernment. Help me, Lord, not to support things that are not of you and not to be confused and not to be a source of confusion for other people. Some of you on the morning call this morning can actually testify. We won't have it this morning, but you've testified before how you were part of counterfeit movements that seemed like the real thing, but you found yourself steeper and steeper, deeper into disillusionment, confusion, and a superficial Christianity that did not have the power to help you to obey God and experience the fullness of His life. Be separate from this evil world. Be consecrated to God so you can be used by God mightily. And you've testified how you were around a great number of people like that. It was a crowd herd mentality. Never ever look at the person on the right of you or the left of you or in front of you or behind you. Especially when it comes to spiritual things. Look up to God. Say, Father, what is going on? Show me, Father. Show me, is this from you or not? If it's not from you, I'm out. And even then, we can have subjective feelings and our own two cents thrown in. We have to be careful. As I said before, we can think that something is harsh and I don't like this, I'm out of here when God is actually speaking. We've actually left God at that point. Other times we really coaxed into and lulled into a death sleep, spiritual coma, because it's so nice, the message is so nice and it's so refreshing. Where's the truth that is going to set you free from your own sins? Where's repentance? We need to have a standard. Hence, not only the heart cry, say, Lord, help me to discern in these last days. We're not called to be heresy hunters. There's a danger in that. And to keep speaking about everybody that's false and go on a campaign, no. That can cause more harm, actually. 
but to be discerning for ourselves. And when God opens the door and there's an opportunity, when people are willing to listen, if it concerns them, see all these parameters should be there. God wants us to speak, then we open our mouth. Other than that, we keep our mouth closed, but we see what's going on and we make sure we're separated from that which is false. Then God can see your personal integrity. Remember yesterday? Humility and integrity. That will take us far. But if we become defiant and angry, I was blessed by this. You can be blessed. But God is showing you now, the whole thing has a faulty foundation. But then how can I be blessed? As I mentioned, case of Saul. Case of the donkey. The end does not always, is not always justified by the means. We have to be willing to listen and God can take us higher. Otherwise, what will happen is we will definitely go backward. We are going to stop at verse 7. Continue verse 5. The thoughts and purposes of the righteous are honest and reliable, but the counsels and designs of the wicked are treacherous. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them and the innocent ones. The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. In fact, without commenting, we're going to continue, finish this chapter actually. A man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart shall be despised. Better is he who is lightly esteemed, but works for his own support, than he who assumes honor for himself and lacks bread. A righteous man regards the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He who tills his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits is lacking in sense and without understanding. The wicked desires the spoil of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous shall come out of trouble. From the fruit of his words a man shall be satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hands shall come back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who listens to counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is quickly and openly known, but a prudent man ignores an insult. He who breathes out truth shows forth righteousness, uprightness and right standing with God, but a false witness utters deceit. There are those who speak rashly like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit in the heart of those who devise evil is in the heart of those who devise evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. No actual or ultimate evil, misfortune or calamity shall come upon the righteous. But the wicked shall be filled with evil, misfortune and calamity.
Lying lips are extremely disgusting and hateful to the Lord, but they who deal truly are his delight. A prudent man is reluctant to display his knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims their folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety or heaviness in a man's heart weighs it down, but an encouraging word makes it glad. The righteous man is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked causes others to go astray. The lazy man will not catch his game or roast it if he should kill it, but the diligent man will get precious possessions. Life is in the way of righteousness. What is this life, this righteousness? The Amplified has it, moral and spiritual rectitude or correctness in every area and relation. Righteousness. And in its pathway there is no death, but immortality, perpetual eternal life. May the Lord help us to apply everything that applies. And it takes wisdom to say, Lord, you've spoken that in this area or in that area I've been very superficial. If that's the case. But it's important for us not to rush to defend ourselves. That's a very dangerous thing. And even if we don't say it in word, our attitude inside, we should be calm and peaceful when correction comes, when rebuke comes, when counsel comes. And be able to sit still and think and be quiet and say, Lord, is this for me? And wait upon the Lord if you don't know. Rather than say, no, it's not for me. Let me go to the next thing. That superficial dealing and and defensiveness will cause one to be immature. But maturity will result when we're able to listen and say, Lord, everything that applies to me, I want to, I want to put it to work, Lord. I want to be a person who discerns. And I want to be a person who, when you give me that sponge and that cleaning solution, I'm going to really work hard before you, Lord scrub the way I'm supposed to, looking for the result with the integrity, this honesty, and the humility, the stain will be gone. God will be well pleased. God will use you. God will use us to help many people who are confused and they're falling and falling and falling and getting comfort in something that is not true. Rather, they will actually wake up. Repent, get touched by Jesus, pick up the mat and begin to walk to the glory of God. And show many others in turn as a spiritual chain reaction how to truly walk humble obedience, wisely speaking less, 
listening more, being very slow to get angry, having that peace that God gives that results from the true wisdom from above. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the truth, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that you mean for us to walk strong, to walk firmly, to be people who will love you, love the truth, and refuse to receive anything and everything that looks spiritual, even in mainstream Christianity. What passes for that today? And I pray, Lord, that those who are humble, that you would increase wisdom for them today, increase stability, increase peace. Anyone, Father, who is offended by the truth would reconsider, would bring it to you and say, Father, show me. Show me more. Show me why. Show me more of how. And help me not to be a lone ranger. Help me, Lord. May they say, help me, Lord, to be with those who are pursuing wisdom. Those who are honest and those who are humble. Thank you, Father, for your loving kindness. I thank you that you instruct us in the way of righteousness so we can live and be a source of life to others. We praise and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.